Welcome to the Heart Ventures Podcast. I'm Dee Dee Morris. And I'm Krista McNally. And we're here to remind you about the importance of prioritizing adventure, whether near or far in your day-to-day life. So whether you're a seasoned traveler or someone who enjoys their wine with the side of wanderlust, you're in the right place. So we wanted to confirm, is how do you pronounce your name? Guess. Lise? Yes, you win. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's like new lease on life. I love, I love how when people have to have like a little saying for their name, uh, one of my good friends, her name is Marika and she always goes Marika like paprika. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or so Eureka. Awesome. <laughs> oh, I should tell her that she would like that one. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing Didi and I were wondering, where in the world are you located? I'm just east of Toronto. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, in I'm in Coburg, but I, you guys are out east, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I grew Coburg up in Ontario, is... though. Oh, okay. So I'm like in between um, Toronto and Kingston. Yeah. So you are. Whenever we drive home, so I grew up in Owen Sound. Oh yeah. And yeah. Whenever we drive home to visit our family, we always, always stop in Coburg and go to the. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's me. Uh, that's awesome yeah that's such a beautiful beach and yeah so we have we have twin girls and we always stop there as like our dinner break because they need to run around and it's the perfect spot for it so so I also have twin girls oh Um, really yes but part of what brought me out of Toronto like there were many things but part of what brought me out of Toronto and into Coburg in particular is that whenever I was going between Coburg and Kingston I had my um, eldest who was like a baby at the time. And I always stopped at the beach in Coburg because she couldn't make the full trip. I was like, why don't I yeah. just live here instead? <laughs> yeah. So it's such a perfect good spot to stop. Yeah. How old are your twins? They're 11. Oh. And then my eldest is 13. Amazing. Yeah. Sweet. How about you? Mine are just turning eight in November. All right. On. Why don't we have Lise in, um, introduce herself? Because we don't know very much about you. So. Okay. I'd be interested to hear how you would introduce yourself. Okay. So my name is Lise Wilcox and I help women make more money. Um, since Yeah. Since 2015, I have been in some iteration of business and life coaching. Uh, and so I really have this focus on helping entrepreneurial women make more money. And in addition, I have like a separate arm of the business in which I do a ton of keynote speaking. I work with um, teams and leaders, helping them navigate chaos and change through the stage and then into workshops and one-on-one coaching. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's My whole life is an adventure. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Sounds like it. That's so awesome. And I know that earlier this week you had an adventure in New York. Can you tell us about that? It was such a career highlight. Um, I was, uh, I went to speak at a conference in New York city hosted by the financial times at their women in business summit. Uh, and so it was incredible. I had a lightning talk, um, and we talked about integrating, um, emotional or how to really understand how emotional health impacts our financial decision-making. And in that room, it was full of like the CEO of Heineken, New Balance, TaskRabbit, Kate Spade, um, uh, the Obama foundation, like it was just this powerhouse room of people. And it was, it was a moment for sure. That's amazing. Wow. It was amazing. Good for you. <laughs> Thank so you. How, did, how did you end up there? I pitched them. Um, oh. Yeah. And I mean, this is a great example and like asking for what you want and following through on it. But I really, I sent them like a cold pitch last year and they reached out or they responded, I suppose. Um Yeah, that was back in the spring. And interestingly, their roster was already full, but they kind of made space for an additional lightning talk to bring me in, which I was naturally very pleased about. That is really cool. Yeah, good for you. Wow, career highlight for sure. (laughs) And so then tell us a little bit more about like, what is your day-to-day like with clients and work and life and children and all the things? 
So I really do have a life-centered business, which is perfect because that's that's also that's like part of what I teach, right? And as I said, I kind of have two arms of the business, um, like one over here, which is speaking and, and teams and leaders, um, lots of resilience. It's, it's all based on emotional health. And then the other branch of my business, helping women make more money, is really understanding wealth EQ and how like we feel about money, how much of an impact that has on our ability to earn, save, and spend. Um, and so that looks like a lot more, um, increasingly a lot more um, self-study online courses, group coaching mastermind kind of in that mm-hmm. realm. Um, but I do all of that from home. So over the last, yeah, since 2015, so seven or eight years, I've really built this international platform from my tiny little beachfront town, raising three girls. Most of that was single solo parenting. There was a, a breast cancer adventure in there as well um now it looks very much like me in my office and everything stops at 2 30 when my kids get home and and then I'm backed into wife and mom mode <laughs> what got you to this point um it all started with this kind of cataclysmic moment where I realized the life I was living did not feel like my own everything looked perfect from the outside but on the inside, I really felt like I was drowning. And I had this like epiphany moment um, lying on the floor. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I'm in like the real depths of despair, it's like I can't even deal with gravity anymore. It's like I'm just, I'm on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I was in one of those moments. I was like looking at this perfect kitchen we had built and this perfect relationship, quote unquote. And I was like, oh my God, if uh, if this isn't enough for me, like, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> And I heard this like divine voice, like out of nowhere. I'd never heard it before, but it was so clear and so calm. And it was like, oh, nothing will be enough for you until you are enough for you. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I asked it. I think I even asked it out loud, like, what? And I heard it again, that nothing will be enough for you until you are enough for you. And that was the moment that literally changed everything. I called time of death on my marriage moved out of this again like totally punctured the illusion of having been living this perfect on the outside life and started again so I was I had been a Montessori teacher in the first iteration of my career and then I chose to be an at-home mom you know I had three kids in two years so that made a lot of sense because I had all this Montessori child psychology child development background and then three little girls and totally reinvented so I had been writing a newspaper column uh, for a local paper and wanted people to read the column. So I turned it into a blog, but I wanted people to read the blog. So I started using Instagram. Then I got really good at Instagram um, and accidentally started a business in which entrepreneurial <laughs> women would ask me, like, I thought I was going to coach them on like how to use Instagram, but really what they wanted from me specifically was like, oh my God, like, my mom told me I was never creative. So how do I pursue my dream of being an artist? Or mm-hmm. my husband has always been the breadwinner and he does not believe that this is anything more of a hobby. How do I show him that this is a legit business? Mm-hmm. And that just grew. Like I kept betting on myself. I kept trusting myself and like I made a lot of mistakes along the way, mm-hmm. but I also had a lot of successes and a lot of wins. And that accidentally brought me <laughs> to where I am. I want to go back to what you said, like, where did the breast cancer experience come in in all this? It, it was crazy because, you know, in life, when you're you're just feeling momentum, you're like, all right, I'm doing this. Like, I feel like the wind is finally at my back. It's not in front of me anymore. And it felt like this one step forward, like 1700 steps back because I was in that. I was like, this is it. It's working. I'm going forward. Um, and then I felt a lump. And I went to the, this is crazy because like I was single for so long and um, any time away, any time off, quote unquote, that I had like away from my kids, I would go on an adventure. So I would like rent a cabin and go there on my own. Or like, I think I told you, I went to this creative retreat in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. I went to Detroit. Like I took all these trips and adventures by myself and really, really developed this relationship with myself that was like I had no idea that that was even a possibility um anyway so I was at this little tiny cabin in the woods and I was going to do a cool photo shoot for the gram and I loved my breasts so much I was always just walking around holding them and I felt a lump 
<laughs> and I was like, that like the color drained out of me. I was like, that's not supposed to be there. Right. And so first thing Monday morning, I went to my doctor. She sent me immediately to the hospital, got a quick scan. And they were like, don't worry. It's not breast cancer. I had a trip planned to California because that was my next adventure. And they were like, go to California and have fun. So I went to California. I had a conference in LA. I literally, like not figuratively, literally bumped into Brene Brown, who was speaking at that conference. So cool. And I drove from LA to Seattle in a convertible. Like I rented a Ford Mustang and I drove the coast by myself for like three days. But when I came back, I had my follow-up a couple months later and I went in and they did another scan. They were like, okay, the lump that we found is now two and like they're significantly larger. So like, don't worry, we don't think it's breast cancer, but let's like, let's just do another, let's do a biopsy. So then I'm at another cabin, but this time with my family and a physician who's covering for my physician come that phones me and she's like, don't worry, it's not cancer, but it is precancerous. So we're going to need to do a lumpectomy. And I was like devastated because I was like, again, these are my favorite body parts. Like, how could I lose a part of them? So I go to my surgeon's office for my surgical appointment. And he's like, so how are you doing? I was like, I'm great. I'm just so grateful this isn't cancer. And then the color drained out of him. And he was like, oh, my God, I don't know how to tell you this. It is cancer. It is aggressive. And you're going to require like really aggressive treatment. I was like, what? And there had been three tumors that they found. Mm -hmm. And the physician that had phoned me read the first page of the report, not the other two pages. Oh, my God. I know. So in that moment began another adventure. In which it was called cancer. It was called eight weeks, four months, four months of aggressive chemotherapy. It was called going bald and it was called going flat. So I did Mm -hmm. a full radical mastectomy as a curative and preventative treatment. Wow. Yeah. And because I am like an overachiever and can't like, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, as I'm sure you both know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote my first book during chemo because I had been really wanting to write a book. And I was like, oh, my God, but when am I ever going to find the time to do this? <laughs> uh, then I found myself with like five to six hours a week. And so the nurses, I told them what I was what my plan was. And um, I had like a favorite chair in the chemo wing that was it was in all the windows there was like a I forget what it's called like a sun catcher so it would cast rainbows all over my chair and Mm. the lighting was perfect so they saved that for me every time I went and I wrote my book proposal sitting in chemo first I just want to say that I love that you are calling your cancer journey an adventure because I do think, and one of my questions to you, you know, people always give the highlights of like the good things that happen. And one of them was like, okay, but like you left your marriage, you restarted. <laughs> That's not all sunshine and rainbows. That's like no, it's hell on earth. Like, yeah. and so my question was going to be, okay, but what about the like times where after you stood up from laying on the floor and hearing that voice, you were again on the floor having floor adventures. <laughs> Morph. And it was, you know, it's so funny because that was another, like, do you do this? Do you like replay highlights of your life as if it's a movie? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I just want to establish a baseline here for where we're at. But um, that was another moment where I can see very, very clearly that I had been to an appointment and I was so angry because I, I, you know, I was with you. I was like, no, I did the hard thing. Like I left the marriage. I left the perfect family. I left. I blew up my life. Like I blew up my life. I lived in this small town. Suddenly I had no friends because they all chose my ex-husband. Like I had, I had nothing but me and my girls. And that was uh, obviously a lot. Yeah, It's just like the life that I had built. It it literally, it was like the floor dropped out from under me. The family I had known, nope, gone, friends gone. Like it was all, it was all gone. And I was starting over again. Um, and I hadn't invested anything in a career, right? Because I was like, I'll be an at-home mom and I won't, you know, work outside the home. So it, it was like, it was so much and it was so traumatic. And as is the case for most people, that divorce did not go yeah. how it was 
supposed to go. Like it was very different than what I had planned and imagined in anyway. So I was like, I did the hard thing and now the rest just gets to be easy. And I went to one of my appointments at the hospital and I was so pissed because I had received two misdiagnoses. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is so shitty. I've already, I've already started over. Like I don't want to start over again. And I was flatlined. Like I was on mm-hmm. the floor of my living room and I was screaming. I was like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Like, what am I going to do? Well, yeah. that little voice pops up again and calm cool collected the voice was like oh you're gonna make this beautiful and again I was like what like that just makes me want to cry that's so amazing and very distinctively you're gonna make this beautiful I palpably remember setting up and I was like I like wiped the tears out of my eyes and I was like Mm -hmm. oh my god I don't know how to have cancer but I do know how to make things beautiful so that's the Mm -hmm. only thing I'm gonna focus on yeah. And so from that oh. moment, every, every point, every point was beautiful. It was like my kids chose my um, medicine bag for me because like you have to take a lot of meds and they're, they have terrifying names, right? So they chose this like pink, metallic, like rose gold medicine case or toiletry bag. Um, we labeled all of my meds because again they have like really scary names and then Mm -hmm. you know you don't feel safe and you don't know you feel like you're kind of a victim of the system so Mm -hmm. we put like hearts unicorns rainbows like these over-the-top girly stickers and then we made a chart so it was like okay if I'm feeling nauseous I just pop two unicorn pills on Tuesday morning before I go in for treatment I need to take you know three shooting stars before I go to the hospital like so So it became like pretty and easy and light. When I went to the hospital, I always got a latte. My kids were really into knitting then. So somebody had knit me like a coffee cozy. I always had that knitted coffee cozy with me. They give you so many forms and papers that we had like a beautiful, um, like a file folder, but it was like gold or something. I would take cool selfies of myself in my gown with my stupid um, wristband like every point of contact that should have sucked and been terrible I just made it like really beautiful and it it completely I told you I sat in the rainbow chair right like yeah everything became lovely and I took an incredibly difficult experience and totally made it my own and it really ended up this actually what I'm about to say makes a lot of people really angry so temper yourselves but um it actually became a beautiful experience for me yeah. After I did surgery, I'm sorry, I want to tell you this too, just because it's yeah. like, it marries all of this together. Um, the choice to go flat was a huge one because like I had amazing boobs. And I'm really curvy. And so with, without yeah. this, like, like without rest, like my body looks totally different. So a part of that decision was like, well, how do I make this beautiful? Well, I booked, I applied to, um, to this lingerie brand, this indie lingerie brand that had um, like a muse series that they did their own photo shoots of inspiring women. So I did like a lingerie shoot after I had healed from surgery. There's a publication in Toronto called now magazine. And they, every January they do like this self-love issue. And I was like the cover girl um, of their self-love issue. (laughs) So it was like everything, everything about it became beautiful and manageable. Yeah, that's, I just love that so much. I love that you, that A, you chose to listen to the voice and, Mm -hmm. and then took action. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's just awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) you. And and I feel like, honestly, you, you like set off a light bulb in me with this kind of philosophy of turning everything beautiful. Mm -hmm. Cause Mm -hmm. You know, when people like ask you about your values and like Mm -hmm. to, to, or yeah, your core values to like name them, I always find like beauty comes up for me, but I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, I don't, like, I couldn't quite pinpoint it, but to hear you explain it in this way, it's like, yes, Mm -hmm. you can make, and it's a choice, right? Like you can make Mm -hmm. everything beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I share that with you. I, um, I was, I dated somebody a number of years ago and he was like, you're so superficial. And I was like, 
excuse me he was like you're just so obsessed with everything being nice around you i was like dude if the world goes to shit and we end up living in like a post-apocalyptic society my tent will be the one with wildflowers on the yes. tree stuff you know it's like it's not superficial maybe it's a compulsion but i'm with you like i want yeah. my world to be really lovely yeah mm-hmm. i always tell my husband because he's always like well you you know, we need to have a nice house and we need to have this. And I'm like, dude, I'll live in a shithole. I'll make it really pretty, but I don't care (laughs) if I'm living in a tent or a van or a trailer. I don't care. I'll make it pretty, but it doesn't have to be like, you know, 3000 square feet of house. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. So tell us what your, what your book is called and what it was about. Like, yeah. So the first one that I wrote yeah. during that whole experience is called uh, To Call Myself Beloved, A Story of Hope, Healing, and Coming Home. Oh. And it is really, it felt like equal parts memoir, self-help, and just feeling like you're having a, a the conversation you always want to have with people. Um, kind of like curled up with a cup of coffee on the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically, it's a, um, a self-love manifesto because I had read so much, like I had so much self-loathing from the childhood that I had Mm -hmm. and I had no idea I told you like all of my travels like all of this all of these experiences it was just getting to know me and it was like coming back home to who I really am and so I had been reading about like all you have to do is love yourself and I was like what the hell does that mean and how come nobody's telling me how to do it it feels like I'm just supposed to buy something and that's called self-love which I didn't really subscribe to And so I wrote the book that I had like been so desperately wanting. So it's literally, it's step by step. If you are on that path from self-loathing to self-loving, this is what you need. Amazing. Um, So cool. And then I wrote a second book during the pandemic, which is called Alone, The Truth and Beauty of Belonging. Because, um, you know, circling back to it's not all sunshine and roses, I wrote this book and I was like, this is amazing. Now I love myself and I'm going to get the prize of like the best man ever. And there were crickets. <laughs> like, Wait a second. <laughs> it's not supposed to work this way. I already did all the hard things. So why am I still bloody single? And it was, it was such a pain point for me that I wrote this other book called Alone. And it was all about really cultivating, like not even, it's like you love yourself, but then what does it mean to be in relationship with yourself? And also, what does it mean to feel alone versus feeling lonely? And what does that look like? Not only in the context of intimate partnerships, but in parenting, in entrepreneurship, in this sense of like all of us are looking for a sense of belonging and so few of us feel like we belong. So that book is really like, it was like an existential crisis turned into prose, basically. Turned into beauty. Like most books are like that. <laughs> yeah, I know. When I look back, I'm like, I was actually depressed and wrote amazing an amazing book out of it. But like, yeah. wow, that was that was rough. And so then how about we rewind a little and can you tell us about some of your earliest memories of adventures in your life? Yes. My very my very first memory of adventure is um when I was growing up in the very first years, it was just my dad and I, and um, he was a physician and he was really busy, but he was also like for the first few years of my life, he was really present and really attentive. And he took me to Disneyland every year. And um, mm-hmm. I very distinctively remember him. This is in the eighties, but I like remember him renting a T-Bird. Like, I think it's a Thunderbird. Yeah. Do you guys remember yeah. that car? <laughs> yeah, totally. So he Okay, because I have I have yet to see a T bird in my adult life. Like I don't know yeah. if I made it up or. I think but I knew it from the it. movie Grease. <laughs> right, the T birds. Anyway, could be wrong. <laughs> so he rented he rented this red car, and I don't know what possessed him to say yes to this. But I asked him if I could ride around in the trunk, and he was like, "Oh, sure." <laughs> So like, I remember just like flailing around in the trunk and then we would stop for like Twinkies and Sunny D. And that is like my first memory of having an adventure <laughs> like that. Amazing. <laughs> oh, reckless. Riding around in the trunk. That's awesome. And 
Uh, oh, have yeah. you have you do your girls or did they have like that desire to go to Disney as well? It's so funny. We've just been talking about that because that has been so central for me. Like I got to I have to be the person to take them to Disney because like mm-hmm. I had this experience and, and nobody's really into it. So we've been talking about going to Universal, but I think we're going to wait a couple of years until they're like in their mid teens. And then mm-hmm. see if we go then. Mm hmm. Yeah, my kids don't have any interest in it either. We we asked them the other day because we're going to New York City with them for their birthday this mm. year, and uh, I asked them. I was like, "Well, like, would you would you rather go to Disney or New York City?" And they both were like, "Uh, New York City." Are you serious? <laughs> I was like, cool. That's my choice too. So perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Disney. Have you, Chris? Have you been? Oh yes. Yeah. Go. And Disney is an investment. Yeah. Oh, I so know. So, like, you want to make sure everybody is really into it, I think, yeah, before you exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I have no desire to go. Jeremy went as a kid, my husband. And so I think in his mind, we will eventually take them. But for me, I'm mm-hmm. just like, I would way rather, like, spend mm-hmm. that money on a, like, three-month trip to Europe. <laughs> so there, there's a story it. in my family. So I, I was... I feel spoiled saying this, but it it was our family trip for like six years. We would go down the Florida and in my younger years, I, I, I don't know, you were, you had to be under like four or three and you got in for free. And the Mm -hmm. story is my parents told me to like, just sit in the stroller and don't speak. And they would just lie about my age. So, oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) Travel hacks. Travel hacks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did it work? Did you did were you okay with that? Oh, I have no memory of it. This oh. is just the story that was told, but yeah, it worked. I got in. Yeah, my kids are not okay with us lying. <laughs> <laughs> they like are horrified. Cause we we did that, I think we did that one year at um Milford House because they eat for free if they're six and under. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so we pretended that they were six and they were like disgusted by us. <laughs> Maybe because they're like proud of their age at that. I think think that's probably more to do. But we also spend so much time being like, you need to tell the truth. Like honesty is really important. You can tell me everything. But if we're going to get a free bowl of spaghetti out about this, like we could be (laughs) going to lie on our our morals. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so funny. Yeah. So, Lise, what's an adventure experience where you learned a lot about yourself? Mm. So, the first one I uh, I remember as an adult, like freshly separated, um, I decided to go to Detroit and I went there on my own. And that was such a big deal because all the memories of travel I had had previously were with somebody else. And I was like, this sucks because now I've lost all my happy travel memories too, right? So I drove to Detroit on my own and it was such a good experience. Like it was so fun hanging out by myself and like being open to meeting new people and adventures that kind of set the tone, but it was, I can't, I was trying to find photos for you before we started recording. And I can't even remember which year it was that I went, Mm -hmm. but that Detroit trip kind of inspired me to um, sign up for this retreat in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, um, that was for creative entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And again, I was still in the like self-loathing mindset and I didn't really know what I was capable of. Um, and I was like, am I even a creative entrepreneur? I don't know. And so I like drove the 14 hours. I listened to Brene Brown's audiobook, and I just like cried the whole way and like was mm-hmm. hyping myself up. And for the first time, I introduced myself not as, you know, like, well, I used to be a Montessori teacher, but now I'm at home with my kids and now I'm reinventing. I was like, hi, my name is Lise. I'm a, I'm an author. And people were like, oh, cool. What are you writing? I was like, oh, I'm working on a book. And it was just like, it was that moment that was like, oh, dude, you get to do what you want to do. You get to be the author of your own story. Mm-hmm. This, the rules from somebody else no longer apply to you. Like this is, this is it. And I feel like that weekend was kind of the experience that set the tone for me to self-create that's really cool what was the conference it was I was also I was this feels like there's been obviously as I just told you from our 20 minute 
overview like there's been a lot that has happened in the past few years of my life um so I can't remember the specifics I don't remember who hosted it but it was at this amazing camp for adults called Camp Wandawega and it looks like it looks like the scene of a Wes Anderson movie like it is I they know were, this um, camp. Ad ex- yeah they were ad execs from Chicago and they bought the camp that his family used to go to and ah. they completely yeah. transformed it and so a couple of gals just hosted a retreat for creative entrepreneurs and it brought people from all over like mostly Chicago like mostly the Midwest mm-hmm. um and me and, <laughs> and you <laughs> it, was, uh, it was amazing <laughs> it was amazing that's awesome um I'm so one of the I'm a photographer as you probably know but um one of the sessions that I do are called um, sacred soul sessions and I do them with mm-hmm. women. And a lot of it is based on a project that I did years ago now called we are the wild. And we um, it was me and a friend of mine and we would have these conversations with women around their own narratives and asking them questions about basically trying to understand how they connect to themselves and uh, and then I would base a photo shoot on those answers. Uh. And so this whole interview, I'm like, OK, so she's talking about how, you know, she's getting into relationship with herself. And the whole time I'm like thinking, OK, but how? Uh-huh. How are you doing it? Like, what does that look like? What does that feel I like? A, I mean, I spent a lot of time in the woods. Yeah. So I think that um that trip to Camp Wandawega, mm-hmm. the whole weekend, and again, I was around like, you know, the design girls from mm-hmm. Chicago, like people yeah. were like Instagram famous, right? And the whole weekend, I wore a Patagonia fleece, roots track pants, and Birkenstocks. And I was like, yep, <laughs> this is where I was supposed to be. <laughs> and it was like that feeling of being so comfortable in the woods, you know, I got up and I would canoe in the morning and I would spend this time by myself. So like driving, I find driving so meditative and so like retreatful. And so I think that that experience then set me up to be like, oh, I love being in these beautiful kind of luxury, like design focused, beautiful Mm -hmm. spaces, but they're out in the woods near water. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, again, divorce was a such a traumatic experience and I will tell you very honestly divorce was way worse than cancer like way mm-hmm. way way worse mm-hmm. than cancer and um I was processing that and dealing with the cancer stuff and like a whole bunch of family stuff in the past that had been unresolved and you know also really legitimately depressed because I was single and I was like approaching 40 and I was like this is not how this is not the life I signed up for like I did not sign up to be single self-employed and parenting three kids by myself like this is not I had a lot of anger and a lot of depression and so I'd need to get into the woods to like be Mm -hmm. and I think that was it I would find these beautiful cabins on Instagram I'd book them and I'd go and spend like three days there you know at the time I was really I was so looking for guidance but I was like doing a lot of tarot readings and really getting clear onto the meaning of bird would fly by and I'd like look up the spirit meaning of that book. And I think I just had the, what now feels like a luxury. I had the luxury of time yeah. to actually sit and get to know who I was. Yeah. And I got to figure out like, that actually gives me the chills. Like, what do I like? Who am I? Like when you take all the things, like all the roles away from me, like a mom and an entre- who am I the person and what is she like? And what does she not like? Like what makes her laugh? And I had, again, I had this luxury of time just to spend with myself. And I think like, it's that simple. It's that complicated. I spent a lot of time just getting to know myself. There were so many tears. Like I I spent a lot of time crying, you know, and like writing and I learned how to play guitar and I wrote songs about it. And then it was just like, I just got to spend this time with this woman. I had honestly never met before do you still I, sorry Dee Dee and I are both like we have so many questions <laughs> <laughs> my turn 
Uh, do you still book these weekends in cabins for yourself? No, I don't. And this is like, we were just talking about this not too long ago, but um, I ended up meeting like an amazing man. And, um, you know, that has been its own adventure, but we eloped about a year ago. We had a family moon with his, his an older daughter and then my three daughters, like we went all of us um, and had a ceremony on the beach, like a blended family ceremony oh, um, a- in Sayulita, Mexico. Oh. And while we, this is insane. So the night before we left for Sayulita, again, we'd been married for a week. The night before we left, this house was on the market that we'd been looking at and it kept falling in price and falling in price. And um, we were like, well, you know, like, let's just put an offer in and see what they do. And they accepted the offer while we were on our trip. So we bought it without even seeing it. Because <laughs> it was like 6 p.m. when we put the offer in and we were leaving at like 5 a.m. the next Oh, my God. And so, and so we bought this house without seeing it. Then we like frantically listed my house and get, got it ready for market. It was just before Christmas. So it sold like just before Christmas. We moved in here early January and have been renovating it ever since. So it has been like a whirlwind. And interestingly, that chapter of my life that was like, I have to get into the woods. I have to be alone. I have to be sitting at the water. That has really felt complete for me. Mm. And so now, like, I think this is kind of funny timing because now I'm like, oh, but now I go to New York once a quarter. And now it's like being in New York. Now I get to like open up my world like that's it I feel like I had to close my world so small like I so I could just be present with myself and now it's like okay but now I need to remind myself that the world is bigger than the 18,000 person town I live in and so going to New York has allowed me to cultivate this like professional and social community of really Mm -hmm. like valued people that just feels so expansive so now going to New York once a quarter feels like my thing (laughs) that's so cool uh that gives me chills, like just thinking about how these different adventures, like they look so different, but they are all fundamentally like a change from your everyday routine. Yeah. And yeah. and that will shift what that looks like throughout your life of like what you're needing and what you're seeking. Yeah. And I totally. also I also really liked how you said it's like an expansion of your world, like even even by making even by going into the woods and making your world really really small it's still expansive because it's expanding you as a person and now new york is also it's also expanding you as a person but it's expanding your like totally. it's a bigger outside world yeah and i think really that's like fundamentally what adventure comes down to is expansion in some way shape or form completely I I could not agree more. And it's funny because like I have never been interested in like, you know, traveling to Asia or Africa. Like I have no desire to get on a plane for 14 to 24 hours and go somewhere else. But (laughs) to me, like the whole purpose of travel and adventure is like you just get to know yourself a little bit more. Like I always open myself up to, I think this is why we all travel, but there are if you're ready for it, there are so many little synchronicities that happen and you have just the right conversation or you yeah. find just the right graffiti on the wall. And you're like, oh my God, that was totally what I needed to see. And it's it's so expansive and it's like validating and it's just so life affirming. And I yeah. think you can go and do that anywhere. Like, I think you can yeah. do that anywhere, but we all, I don't know, in this chapter, it feels like Manhattan. The last chapter, it felt like Algonquin Park. Nice. <laughs> And and just what you said there about like that unknown of traveling that so these retreats that we leave these, these heart venture retreats, it's like, we can prepare the women coming on that all we want, like with their itinerary and schedule. And yet the like the magic is not in that itinerary and schedule. It's in the Mm -hmm. unknown of like, who are we going to meet? What conversation, like all the little things that you said, like what graffiti are you going to see? It's the best part. Yeah, it's always in the unexpected and the in-between moments really how do you talk to your girls about an adventure I really feel like our whole life is an adventure and so there were a lot of dark times and it's very easy for me to now look back and be like oh but it worked out and it's fine because and and that that was true and what was also true is that it was really really hard and Mm -hmm. so when they were so little I remember like just turning everything into an adventure so for example we had this like seven bedroom century home 
we had like half an acre uh, of land. It was still downtown. We could see the lake for, if you like stepped outside on the front lawn, you could like see the lake from where we were. Amazing. And that came to an abrupt halt. Right. And so um, I was like, well, let's go on an adventure. Like, let's find our next place to live. You know, we're little hermit crabs. Let's go find our next shell. And we went apartment hunting together. And so like I would scan them obviously, but then I found this little tiny cottage um, that was for rent. And I brought the girls and immediately like they went in, they're like, Oh, my room will be over here. And this is where we'll put my bed. And they were like four. Right. Um, but it was like that, that sense of replacing the sense of dread with the sense of adventure and like, but who knows what could happen. I think going to the grocery store, it's like, let's go on an adventure to the grocery store. And who knows what we'll find there in the yeah. aisle. And so I think that my grandparents um, emigrated from Holland just after the war. And I feel like I really got that sense of resilient spirit from my Oma. Cause it was just like, if you stop in the moment and look at the reality of the situation, I don't know if you'd get out, out of bed. Yeah. So if you spin that and it's not even, it's not even repressing it. It's just like, I'm just going to park it for now and I'll come back and process it later but if you can park it and be like let's just focus on the task at hand like one foot in front of the other who knows what adventures will be open to I think that I'd like to think that that's the outlook that I've shared with my girls what's on your exploration wish list um I really want to go back to Salulita. um I'm I'm kind of boring I'm like New York and Salulita. uh <laughs> the only two places I really want to go <laughs> But um, Salulita is also, it's a pretty magical feeling. Place. And um, whenever I go anywhere, I like to feel like I live there. I think a lot of us are like that. But like, mm -hmm. I got mistaken for as, as a New Yorker the other day. And I was like, yes. oh, I'm killing it. Yes. <laughs> I own New York City. And so like in Salulita, you can very much do that. You can just live there you don't feel like you're on vacation you just feel like you are a part of the community mm -hmm. and so cellulite is a big one new york is a big one i'm taking um each of my daughters we're doing like a one-on-one -on -one trip to new york nice. so mm -hmm. my yeah and so my eldest daughter we were there with her well it wasn't a one-on-one -on -one. my husband and i were there with her but we were there with her in july and then my middle daughter i'm taking um in december and then my youngest by four minutes i'll take her in the spring Nice. I love yeah. that she's still your youngest. <laughs> yeah, I I think of them as they're born two minutes apart, and the one's still the oldest. <laughs> it she's is very wild. proud of it. Very proud. Completely. Of oldest. And they have like I never mentioned to the girls who was born first, who was born second. Like I never talked about it specifically because I didn't want them to get like this complex. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, but they naturally took on the qualities of oh. eldest, middle, and youngest child. Amazing. And the one who's four minutes older, who's like classic middle child, is also like six inches taller. So we're like, oh, screw wow. this. We just we just have three and they're born at different times. It's wild. <laughs> so we have youngest, middle, and oldest. Amazing. <laughs> when you when you go to new places or old places, like New York is probably an old place to go to now. Although new things always happen in New York. Um, what do you look for? What do you seek out? That's a good question. I think I just seek out, oh, it's, it's going to sound so douchey when I say this, but like, I just want to seek out what I need to know. You know, yeah. I just feel like I'm going to go and I'm going to be open to new experiences and whatever I get out of it is what I need to get out of it. Right. That's, that's pretty cool actually. I usually say cafes. <laughs> I was going to say, but also food. It's <laughs> so much deeper than me. <laughs> I, I mean, if there's a bagel shop, I'm going to go there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's all it's all around food and kind of the magic that happens. Have you guys heard of the book? It's called Outrageous Openness. No. no. I think the author's name is... Tosha or Tosca or something like that. And anyway, that just hearing you say that she has a chapter where she talks about, you know, in her own city, she's somewhere in California and she just gives herself like a day of no plans, but she'll just like get on a bus, get off where mm -hmm. intuitively she's called to and just, it, yeah, it's like an intuition day. That's that awesome. was, that was my first experience in New York that um, I was 
I was married at the time and like he was doing work or something uh, and I had the day on my own and that's what I did I like if the light was red I would it was a sign to go the, like just turn at that street and I just mm-hmm. like went on this self-trust day and and ended up wherever I ended up and it was awesome and I feel like that's a lot of how I travel now like there are things that I want to do like yeah. that I want to check off a list but otherwise it's very much like just exploration yeah I do that with my kids in the summertime I I I go to like you know out of our neighborhood and then they get control of when I turn and where I turn Ah. choose your own adventure I'm just curious like how do you balance your relationship with your phone Mm. (laughs) so I have a love-hate relationship with my phone and um where I used to be really good at Instagram then all of a sudden Instagram accelerated and I find it impossible to Mm. keep up with changes so I like made a decision that like I'm just not going to be an Instagram expert anymore. And so for my phone, I find it really invasive. Um, And so I honestly, I look at it during the day clearly because I, it's like fundamental to my work, but like after six, seven o'clock at night, I don't really like to look at it. Yeah. And And those weekends that you were doing in the woods, did you have your phone with you? Oh yeah. Big time. And that's, I'm like embarrassed to admit that, but I needed the company of my phone yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Anytime I go on a solo adventure, it's so easy to distract myself from the purpose of going on that adventure with my phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just was curious if, if the distraction happened a lot or you just like powered through it. If anything, I feel like I get distracted by the camera function, oh. right? Because being repartnered, I ha- I take so many fewer photos. Oh. When I was on my own, I was like, I wanted to capture everything. And right. I, I think that probably was a distraction, but really I was trying to like capture the feeling, which you can never do. Like you can never, ever capture it. Um, but I think... Yeah, like, and I would bring this, I've never admitted this out loud before, but I would, like, bring specific outfits so I could set up a photo shoot, and, like, that was, you know, yes, it was a distraction and a comfort blanket while I was also kind of there doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. But now I feel like, like, I need my phone, it's really functional, um, but I don't want to be looking at it all the time. It's, it's, I think that's a struggle for most people Mm -hmm. in the world these days. I don't bring it into my room, you know, mm-hmm. like it's, it stays, unless I have to set an alarm, then it goes mm-hmm. like under a pillow on sleep mode. I don't yeah. look at it in bed, even unless like my kids are dancers. So unless they're like at dance or they're at a friend's house, then yes, if I'm watching TV, my phone is beside me. But otherwise I, I really am conscious about not being on it in the evenings even. Mm-hmm. Because if I, I do get on it in the evenings, I'm inevitably shopping and then it's like bad news. For everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. That's a different relationship as well. <laughs> in the evenings, I try to physically put mine in a drawer so that it's mm-hmm. like a deliberate action of me going and taking it out. And I find that's that helps. Yeah. I have a friend who even did that during the day. She didn't put it in a drawer, but she would set it somewhere where in her mind she would have had like an old, like, phone hanging yep and she was just like oh I'm I'm using it like that like if I get a phone call then I will go and I'll answer my phone but otherwise it's a phone and that's where it needs to be wow that's hardcore (laughs) that is so hardcore like I don't know how I don't know how I I don't think I could ever do that (laughs) but it's super hard a number of years ago I was working in influencer marketing doing just some freelance stuff and we did a video shoot about putting your phone to bed and like we ritualized it. So like we had a little, we tucked the phone into like a tiny little Barbie bed and we like put it over a blanket. And yeah. it was just like this ritual of like, this is not an extension of you, mm. like put it away. Yeah. yeah, I love that. So there's this place in Nova Scotia, Didi mentioned it before, called the Milford House. Mm-hmm. And she's been there a bunch of times. It's like these rustic cabins in the woods. And I went for the first time over Thanksgiving. And what I loved about it is that there's no reception. Mm-hmm. So it was just so wonderful to like have no choice but to put the phone away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
there's there's zero reception and the only place that there's wi-fi is in the lodge that you have to wow. like purposefully go and walk to so yeah <laughs> it's really so you're really on your own yeah and it's great for <laughs> my kids like our family goes twice a year there once in the summer and then at thanksgiving and mm -hmm. um like there's no point in bringing tablets there's like the it, you just you can't use them so yeah you just it's amazing and there's no asking for it and there's no nagging yeah. bugging and whining for yeah. it because it's not possible so because you have to find a different source of dopamine yes. to get high yeah. on exactly yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's great so Lise how about um touching upon adventure in your day-to-day -day life is that something you think about or is it more of these like quarterly trips or things like that that you classify as adventure no I feel like I really do feel like everyday life here is an adventure um again this is gonna sound like it's gonna sound how it's gonna sound but you know the 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 saying like you you build a life you don't need a vacation from yeah mm -hmm. I very much feel that way. Like I love my life. And yes, you know, as I said, we're in the middle of renovations. We're doing them by ourselves. And right now it's at a low point. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake, can it just be finished, please? You know, so I'm I'm gonna like be very real about that. But also we have an amazing life and I love the people I get to spend time with every day. We have a hilarious dog who has <laughs> like he's really fluffy and he looks like a Muppet and he has so much personality that like everything does feel like an adventure and you know we're, we're in this like dead end town where nothing happens except the beach is really nice there are, and and still you're able to make it your own just by like uh, it, it so much hinges on how you look at things and yes. to me I would be in like a coma of depression if I didn't look at it like so then let's make it an adventure like how do we make this fun like how yeah. do we make this our own experience and how do we treat it as such so to me I very much I can't think of any concrete examples right now but every day feels like it's its own thing I don't reserve it for when I go on travel we've been doing a thing with the few interviews we've had already of um, in the show notes creating a bit of a photo diary so if you could send your dog a picture of your yes, dog yes <laughs> happily <laughs> Yeah, because again, I like I'm a very visual person, so yeah, I would love to yeah. just see that. His name is Teddy, and he is I, like, he's hilarious. He just, awesome. yeah, I love that. He's got anxiety, and he's like, he's, oh my god, he's always awesome. with anxiety. I had a dog with anxiety. We had her. She lived until she was 17 years old. Oh god, I know. And at 14, I remember, I remember telling Jeremy because she was um she was drinking like tons of water. And I was like, there's something wrong. Like you need to take her to the vet and you need to have the conversation with the vet. Cause she's 14 and she's, she was a Valley bulldog, which is a, uh, English bulldog mixed with a boxer. And both of those breeds are like eight to 10 years old. And, and oh. that's like the length of their life. And she was 14. And so I was like, okay, Jeremy, you need to take her to the vet and have the conversation. And he took her to the vet and the vet was like, oh, she's doing great. And just <laughs> she's like, she's fine. There's nothing wrong with her kidneys or her liver or anything. She's got years left in her. And Jeremy was like, I felt like that was a very awkward time to bring up the fact that we thought she should probably die by now. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, three years later, we put her down. But oh, man, wow. it was like, yeah, anxiety. She had so much anxiety, so much. Well, and then like, do I think the dogs start to mirror their owners, right? And yeah. I personally have a traumatic response to loud noises because of my own childhood. Yeah. And so well, like, when my daughter is putting on her Nikes on the hardwood floor, yeah. Teddy freaks out. But I'm like, and I'm like, you have to be more mindful, like go and comfort Teddy. And everybody's like, teach Teddy that he doesn't have to be afraid of shoes. And I'm like, I'm afraid of the shoes. I'm afraid of that noise. Like everybody has to be quieter around here. So that, and then Teddy starts barking and then I'm really on edge because that's another loud, dramatic noise. It's like, oh yeah. my God. That's so Does Teddy funny. have anxiety? Do I have anxiety? Are we feeding off one another? Like You're creating more anxiety. I know, I know. <laughs> oh my god but yeah That's i'll happily so send you a photo of him <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> I'm I'm kind of circling back here. However, it just came to my mind, and and I'm just curious to know, how did you learn to relove your body with the changes after breast cancer? I mean, part of my training is in NLP, so I have like my master's certification in neurolinguistic programming. So I like understand how our mind works, and that's by design. Like I really wanna understand how I work. And so for me, a big part of the the body thing, it was just practice and time. And I remember feeling that lump at the beginning and I was like, oh my God, like, please God, if you make this not cancer, I will never complain about my body again. And there was something in that moment that was very true. It was like, why would anybody ever complain about their body when you can find yourself like losing a part of your body? Mm-hmm. And so that was really real for me. Um, I did, I gained a lot of weight during like, like in just in the last few years because of all the stress, but then in chemo, I don't know if you know this, but specifically for breast cancer patients, like I made a, I made a joke. This is very dark, but when I had accepted that I was going to be doing chemo, um, that I was going to lose all my hair. Um, I made like a joke with my nursing team and I was like, well, at least I'm going to lose that 50 pounds I've been trying to lose. And one of the nurses was so young and so new. She was like, Oh my God, no, you're going to gain weight. I was like, what? She's like, Oh my God, there's so much steroids in this medication. Everybody gains weight. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. Mm. And so I gained weight during chemo and that was like its own thing. And so there have just been a lot of body changes Mm -hmm. just recently. Like I ordered, I haven't told anybody this either outside of my family, but like I ordered boobs off of Amazon (laughs) because I'm really curvy and having this very flat, slim chest and this like big belly and hips. Mm. And I have like a, a great ass. I was like, this looks weird to me and my clothes that I love don't hang how I want them to hang or sit. And so I like bought the silicone inserts that a lot of drag queens buy. I know. And so I have this bra with pockets for these silicone breast forms. And I'm like, "Uh, this this is an amazing change. I've been completely flat for like five years and I kind of just went through my own puberty again and got these boots. Because, and I do, I do love my body and I love my clothes. And there is something about the way the clothes hang on the body that like doesn't work for me. So I was like, well, I'm just going to take this yeah. tiny step and make that better. Yeah. But yeah, I think like loving one body part at a time works for a lot of people looking in the mirror. I, I did a lot of mirror work mm-hmm. in this process to like really look at yourself in the mirror and be like, no, I love you. And mm-hmm. you know, like, you start with a body part that you really it's so easy to love yeah. and you're like oh man you have the most beautiful eyes and then you go to like a body part you've never even thought about before like wow your wrists are like they're so lovely I love your wrists and then you go to the the harder areas so it's right. like okay so how do I look at myself and say to my stomach like I love you like it just mm-hmm. I love everything about you and it's it's very methodical and very step by step but it's also completely completely possible for people to do aren't our brains just amazing? Like, uh, and this is, yes, that's all it is. Yes. That's all quote unquote. It yes. is. It's all just about reprogramming the way that you think. Yes. And, and it's, um, it's creating safety. Right. Yeah. And it's like everything that, that I do as a coach, both like one-on-one group stage, whatever, like everything I do has a trauma informed lens. Yeah. So it, or is through the trauma informed lens. So it's really looking at like, all right. So what feeling is coming up and what insight does that give about what needs to be healed? And then you go back to that place and it's like, all right, so what still needs to be healed in this place? And so you're, um, you're constantly reestablishing safety so that you can be in that place of love and acceptance. But so often we just, we kick into unconscious self-sabotage because our bodies are just trying to keep us safe from the stuff that we don't know. Right. So it's like, the brain is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it just is so incredible to me. Now, do you work exclusively with entrepreneurs? Cause I feel like we're going to have people who aren't entrepreneurs yeah. listening who might want to work with you. So yeah, tell us what you have going on and how people can get in touch. It's not an exclusivity with entrepreneurs. I have a passion for women making more money and mm-hmm. I have a passion for closing the gap between self-worth and net worth. So as a fun fact, you know, like I work with entrepreneurs, I work with CEOs and 
what we know about women and money is like, it's never about the money. Like the stats yeah. show us that only 11.1% of working women will ever make a hundred K. And that to me is it's, I'm not okay with that. So I have like a personal mission to help more women make more money. And it's all through neurological safety, like spoiler alert, you have to just rewire your, it's not even mindset. It's like rewiring your body to feel safe with money. So that's like this one arm, but we also know that of the 75% of women who are high net worth. So like hundred K or like six figures, multiple six, and then into seven figures, 75% of those high net worth women say that they do not feel like they're in control of their money. They do not feel safe. They do not feel secure. It does not feel like wow. enough. And so that is this passion for me of like, oh my God, of course, because it's not about the money. It's about how we feel about money. So looking through this trauma informed lens is like real strength of mind to use emotional intelligence. How do we connect the dots there? How do we get clear on what is enough feel like for you so that you actually get to live the life that you want to live. Right. So I work with a whole range of people. If I'm doing workshops or um, like keynotes, it tends to be in a more corporate environment. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing one-on-one, like I'm a higher ticket coach, it tends to be people who have, who are at that like um, income level where they can like afford to work with me one-on-one. And because I have so much experience, I'm in the process of turning all of that IP into courses that people can do it in like an incredibly affordable way. So there's like, there are lots of options, um, which are on my websites, leasewilcox.com. And then the speaking corporate area is leasewilcoxconsulting.com. Cool. Yeah. We will link to all of those in the show <laughs> Thank notes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Didi, any lingering questions for you? No, I mean, we haven't done our, um, our, uh, rapid fires. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> you want to do them? Sure. All right. Lise fiction or nonfiction. Nonfiction. Morning bird <laughs> or night owl. Uh, probably night owl. Probably night owl. How do you start your day? lying in bed thinking about getting up for the day (laughs) 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 yeah I can't we were just I was just thinking with my kids this morning I do not understand how somebody can be like I'm awake I'm out of bed in like 30 seconds or less Uh, but then I come downstairs and my husband is really lovely and he'll make me a latte that's really how I start my day so we literally just had like a marital (laughs) I'm I won't say fight discussion about so I am that person if the alarm goes off like it needs to go off right away I'm out I'm up but my husband likes to lie in bed for 15 minutes. And up until literally two days ago, I would give him a hard time, be like, this is not okay. Like you need to get up. And then I'm like, mm-hmm. he's a grown man. Why am I lecturing him on this? Like, <laughs> yeah. So it's... now I've let it go. Like as of two days ago. That's so funny. Good for you. That's incredible. And like, I don't know. Have you guys done a podcast on the adventures of marriage? Cause I feel like that could also be. Yes, it should thing. be. It should be. Its like own marriage thing. is an adventure. Yes. It <laughs> and there is. are obstacles and there are delays and there are like yeah. marriage is its own, its own thing. Yeah. So <laughs> your, your mornings are very similar to mine, Lise. Um, my husband gets out of bed right away. And so does my mm-hmm. daughter, Micah. She, both of them like immediately jump at it. They're awake. They jump out of bed, they go. But then me and Olive are the ones who will mm-hmm. stay in bed for hours. Like if, if it's a Saturday, <laughs> we're just like, I'm just reading. She's reading. Like we're just laying there doing nothing. And it's the best. But also my husband makes me coffee every day. And it's, it's also the best. <laughs> it is the best. And I will say again, in like, I don't know what truth serum you guys have like thrown on me to this morning, but like that was, that was, I used to like glare at him until he would make me coffee. And I mean, like, I'm like, um, but now he's, he just does it for me, which is really great. But I guess he maybe he didn't like the lecture of being a grown man being like, can you not just make me coffee every morning? Okay, so finish uh, this sentence. I feel most alive when I'm laughing. Finish this phrase. Adventures are important to me because I think they reconnect me to myself. The end. That that's yeah. all we got. 
That's it. Oh, that was so fun. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so much for uh, volunteering to be on our oh. podcast, our very new podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to listen to this back. Yeah, when I got your response to our email, I forwarded it to Didi right away being like, this is so cool. Like this. Yeah. So thank you so much for putting yourself out there and sharing everything you did. I know the people who listen to this will definitely grab these nuggets awesome. and mm-hmm. yeah, be able to pull from it. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been so nice to get to know you both. Yeah. You too. Yeah. Same. I have a feeling we'll be in touch more. I think so too. <laughs> I'll look you up the next time we're on a pit stopping yeah, for sure <laughs> for sure and I was gonna say I posted while I was in New York I posted a story and I was like I don't care what what Disney says Madison Square Park uh Madison Square Dog Park is the happiest place on earth so when you're there with oh, your girls I'm gonna go to that. Madison Square Gardens or not the gardens like go to the park the dog park is amazing there's an area for little dogs big dogs they both have a synthetic hill. There's a stream that runs down it. And because it's New York, the owners are on their phones. Like they're just, the dogs are doing their thing. It's like the wild kingdom. And the owners are just like clickety clackety clickety clackety. And like people get coffee, like present company included, get coffee and you just hang out at the fence watching these dogs. It's oh my so God, that's amazing. funny. Um, yeah. And you hear, again, it's New York. So there's like, the German tourists, the French tourists, the Japanese yeah. tourists, like the Mexican people. Like, there's just so many languages and so many cultures coming together just to watch these like insane dogs. It's awesome. That's amazing. I'm going to definitely yeah. do that. <laughs> Thanks for being here with us today. Just so you know, subscribing to our podcast is like joining us on a journey, ensuring that you never miss a story. It's free and it's easy to do. So do it now. Keep exploring, keep creating, and most importantly, keep believing in the power of adventure. Bye. Bye.